My faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Aloha and welcome back to the believer's journey. Um, it's good to be back here again and, and speaking with everybody. Today we're going to talk about recognizing God's will and following God's will. Um, before I start, though, I want to mention a few things that there'll be changes with our program. Right now we're doing a show. It's um, a one-hour show every other week on Wednesdays, uh, noon Central Time and 8 o'clock Moldovan Time. Um, but every other week in between, I'm going to start doing a five-minute video. It'll just be myself. There won't be any um, guests. And I'm going to pick a topic every time, and we'll be doing that in between. I had some people ask me several times on the off Wednesdays if I was going to be doing the program. And so now I believe that maybe the Lord is calling me to do something in between since I've got so many people asking me. Anyway, um, if you want to go to our website, it's thebelieversjourney.net. And if you miss our show live, you can always either get us on a couple other places um, you can go to our website, which is thebelieversjourney.net, or you can also go to YouTube, type in The Believer's Journey, and you can see our icon, which is a little foot, and it has a little brown circle around it. And you can also download this on Spotify, or you can go to our website and download the uh, audio if you happen to be traveling. Anyway, today I have with me Chris Moore. Chris uh, Moore and I actually go way back uh, before Moore, Chris. Uh, I knew Chris's father and I knew Chris's brother. Uh, and we'll talk about that during the show. But um, anyway, this is Chris. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Alan, thanks for inviting me. Chris, um, I was in Chris's Bible study uh probably about 12, 13 years ago in his home in San Antonio. And uh, I had not even, my wife and I have not even uh, started attending very long. And all of a sudden, they, he and his wife, Lisa, announced that they were going to leave to be missionaries in Kenya. And um, it's really hard for me to find a Bible study. So this was kind of hard, but um, it was pretty a, a neat ride. Uh, we follow Chris a lot. He's been in Kenya, he and his wife, and they started a ministry called Real for Jesus. Real for Christ. Real for Christ. I'm sorry. Same Real guy. for Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe he started, what, in 2007? Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us about your ministry. Well, I'll take you <clears throat> to the very beginning. Um, actually, I'll go to the very beginning. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm where I am today because of my father. And uh, that's our connection point is my dad. And, uh, well, in, in 2007, got a chance to take my uh, daughter to Kenya where I grew up. And uh, while in Kenya, we thought we were on a vacation. And uh, God showed us that he had other plans for us. And uh, while there, my wife, who was the first time visitor to East Africa, she got a chance to do some medical um, outreach programs. And during that time, God really touched her heart. Now, you got to understand, we were back here in San Antonio. At the time, we owned uh, two companies. I had a landscape company and a private investigation company. My wife was working uh, as a business manager for a very successful company. And um, 
we were very comfortable. We both had good incomes. Our children were going to Reagan High School and we were going to the Spurs games every other week and life was good. Uh, and then uh, God showed up while we were on vacation in Kenya and uh, he spoke very clearly to my wife and I. And when we got back from the state, from Kenya, we were both quite miserable, actually. And I found my wife actually in tears one one morning in the restroom. And uh, I said, what's going on? She said, our life is about to change. She said, we've got to go back to Africa. Now, you kind of got ahead of yourself in what I understand your story. I think if I remember right, your wife told you she didn't want to go to Kenya. Yeah, we go all the way back when I met her. I was in the Navy out in Charleston, South Carolina. This is after I'd been in Kenya for uh, most of my young years. I came back and joined the military, met my wife in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, when we were dating, she knew that my dad was a missionary. She knew I'd grown up in Africa, and she made me swear. She said, I'll marry you, but make me a promise. We never go into ministry. We never go to Africa. And she was a cutie, and I wasn't going to miss that opportunity. So I said, <laughs> absolutely, baby. I'll promise you the world. And uh, so I did. I promised her. And uh, just two years after we got married, I, I left the military after four years. And I, I did what? I joined the ministry. And I was a youth pastor. <laughs> then I was a pastor up in Arkansas for a year, uh, year and a half. And uh, so I'd already broken promise number one. Now we fast forward 20 years later. We're down in San Antonio, very comfortable in our life. And uh, it was just it was a miracle that we even got to Kenya. It was because my daughter wanted to go on vacation and see where daddy grew up. That was the only reason we got there. And then here it is. She has this incredible experience and we get back. And it wasn't me who broke the promise. It was her. She was like, I think we're going to make a change here. She's like, I can see that we probably need to go to Africa. And I guess I'm not sure if you were all ready for that or not, even on your own personal self. I don't know that I was either. I, I've always had a passion for Kenya. I grew up there. I learned to speak Swahili. I felt very comfortable with the culture, uh, with the people there. But I had left Kenya, and I had left well, okay with that. Um, my father was in ministry there for years and then went on to Hawaii to be a minister and, and for 14 years in Hawaii. Uh, and so I had kind of gone on with my life. And, and then now it's owning two companies – and making good money. And I really thought that that was, that was kind of the next uh, 15, 20 year plan for Lisa and I. We were already making investments and we had already pl planned for our son to go off to A&M. And, and then here comes this, this, uh, this, this moment. And I would say that it was, it was uh, a, a bigger moment for my wife. But then uh, we both felt like God had really showed up on several different occasions while in Kenya. And then when my wife said things were about to change, then we both got quite serious about it. And it was, it was that, it was later that night we stayed up all night and this word real R E A L kept coming up. Um, and uh, I, 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 I wish I still had that piece of paper, but we just started scratching. I'm talking two, three o'clock in the morning. We started scratching on a yellow notepad the word real. What, what are we going to do with real? Because God kept sh putting real in my mind. And and then we came up with this uh, reaching East African lives for Christ. So we start, we called our organization Real for Christ. 
Uh, in Kenya, we go by R4C Kenya because we work in a lot of primarily Muslim environments where we don't splatter Christ on the side of our trucks or on our shirts, but we put R4C with the emblem of Africa behind us. So it was God that gave us that reel, and uh, we kind of went with that name. Yeah, in fact, I think uh, this morning I put on our um, Facebook page a picture of you with a kind of a maroon-looking shirt with mm -hmm. R4C, R4C on it. Yeah, right yeah. on it. Okay. So trying to advertise for a uh, <laughs> noon <new> show. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about recognizing and following God's will, um, because you grew up in a minister's home, I mean, both as a missionary's kid and a pastor's kid, you kind of had a double whammy there. Mm -hmm. um, I think we... In in life, in in stuff, when we grow up, um, at least I have always been taught the way to make things in life is to push for the the gold bell or star or whatever, which is usually get a great job, make a lot of money, and you're successful. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what's really cool living in Hawaii. Uh, I was I went to Hawaii in, in 1994, I think it was. I was hired on uh, by a principal where your dad was the pastor of the church, Lanakila Baptist Church, and there was an elementary school and a high school, and I was hired on to be the Bible teacher at the junior high and high school level, and that's where I met your dad. Hmm. Of course, that's where I met your brother too. Mm -hmm. um, he was, I think, he was in eleventh grade, maybe I don't know, but I was his Bible teacher and his history teacher, mm -hmm. and um, he was a character. In fact, he's still a character. <laughs> yeah, he's a true African American. You know, I have a lot of uh, black friends here in America, and they 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 always say that they're African American. I said, well, my brother's a true African American. He was an American born in Africa. I said, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tony Joe. We, call, we used to call him Tony Joe. Then we went to TJ. Then he went to Anthony for a while. Now he's yeah. back to Tony. So. <laughs> well, and it's it's interesting how, I mean, like on your brother's situation is so much different than mine or yours. In a, in a sense, your brother actually has become a very successful businessman here in mm -hmm. San Antonio. Yeah, yes. Very, very successful. Yes. And, um, I remember when we were going to sell a house and uh, we I had run into him at church. I didn't know he was here and he had come from, I guess, the Marshall Islands. Uh, he left Hawaii to the Marshall Islands and I don't know where he went in between. And then he told me your dad was living in Waco. Um, and so anyway, what was really cool is that uh, he was starting some landscaping situation and we had him put the grass in our yard. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really cool. But for myself, I always dreamed of when I be, when I became a Christian. I was 16 years old. Okay, and during that though, that year, uh, I lived uh, halfway through. I, I started living with and, and spending a lot of time with my pastor. He was a new pastor. I stopped living at home. I was going to high school and, and not living at home. But he was my mentor. He was like my surrogate father. I didn't have a dad around since I was like nine years old. <clears throat> and I felt the Lord called me to ministry at that age. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was 14 and 15 and 16 years old, I was really very active in sports. Okay. I mean, I was, a, I was the best pitcher on our 
baseball team. I was a great football player. I was, uh, I broke records in long, running long jump in my, in cross country. I was supposed to go to, what do you call those things? Uh, junior Olympics, but I broke my ankle. Really? So a lot of these things happened to me. I cut my arm up so badly that I could, couldn't really use it anymore in sports. So it, it, it patterned myself to look at other areas, and then I felt God's call to the ministry. Well, back then, when you go to college, the only thing available back in the early 70s that you know of is you, to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. So I went to college to learn to be a pastor. Of course, I'm a youth pastor while I'm going to school for six years. In the seventh year, I um, I was working for a pastor as an associate and a, or a youth pastor, and it all was it was all about here are the van keys go wash the van, here's the mop go clean the bathroom. It was all a lot of chores, mm-hmm. and I felt like with this particular pastor, I had no real ministry. I was just a, a gopher. Okay. So I literally quit my job. So I'm at home. I get a phone call one day from a pastor. Or it was either a pastor of a church or it was a principal of a school and knew who I was. I don't know how he knew who he was. I still don't know how, how he knew who I was. And he says, I understand you are out of a job. And I says, well, yes, I am. He says, well, you have a school here. We could use a Bible teacher. First thing I said, I'm not a teacher. You know, he says, well, you're, you're, you're youth pastor, right? He says, well, yes, but we need a teacher to teach our classes. But I've never, I've never took a class on how to teach. I mm-hmm. would know, would not have a clue. Doing a Bible study in my mind was one thing where you sit down and you talk and you pray and you discuss. And sitting in front of a class is a whole different story. Well, it ended up, I went ahead and took the job. Okay. And it was a ninth grade and I forgot what the other classes were. I started to teach and it was almost like second nature. And I didn't get it then, but I didn't. I didn't realize that God gave me the gift of teaching. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it was easy, and I left there and went to another school, and it was just as easy. And I finally dawned on me that I was probably a better teacher than I would be a preacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to th- people like your dad. You know, you're not a. Yeah. You know, your dad's an amazing orator. Right. I mean, just totally amazing. And um, and I was not that. I can get up and do a sermon. I'm sure you could get up and do a sermon, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. Right. And I understood this later on, and God patterned my life in areas in ministry where when I was a kid and thought, oh, the big thing is to go and make a lot of money. Now, in the ministry, you don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. At least I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you probably don't either. No. And um, it's just not not where it's at, but it's where God takes us. Mm-hmm. So when talking about recognizing or following God's will, mm-hmm. and you have my story now, mm-hmm. and you have your story, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of other stories, how do you look at the idea of how to know God's will, recognize his will, follow his will? What are, Do you have any suggestions of how this works? Well... The older I get, the realize I realize um, I have less knowledge <laughs> and I have less answers. <laughs> I used to think I knew it all, and uh, now at almost age fifty-three, I, I realize I probably only know about half what I said I knew. Uh, I think that a lot of people want to make this thing—they call it God's calling on our life. They they're expecting uh, the clouds to part and a hand to reach down or 
for them to get slain in the spirit or for them to have this wow moment or where they hear an audible voice from God. When a lot of times um, I've learned in my life that he just uses pieces of our life to bring us to the place where we are today. For example, um, you know, my wife and I didn't move to Kenya until 2009. I started going back and forth to Kenya in 2007 when I was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, so for 40 years, I'd gone to high school, went to the military, and then I was in ministry for about six years where I did youth and music. And then I pastored a church in Arkansas for almost two years. And then I got out of the ministry full time uh, and I went into sales and marketing and I was in sales and marketing. I started on the phones. I was the guy that calls you about rodeo tickets and the guy that you hang up on. I was the guy that I was the guy that did not take no for an answer. So I started dialing phones for three dollars an hour. Three dollars an hour is what I was making. And I wondered where had God had taken me from the pulpit to dialing a phone at three dollars an hour. And he was he was using those moments in my life of of not taking no for an answer and being more assertive. And then I got a chance to be a supervisor. And then a few years later, got a chance to be a manager. And then I traveled all over the United States in this, in this position. And, and it brought us to San Antonio where I was an executive making a six figure income, uh, working for a large company here in, here in San Antonio. And I was now managing uh, a unit of people that were almost 4,000 people and, and I go from this little bitty Baptist church in Heber Springs, Arkansas, where I had a congregation of 28 to now managing this large number of people and these processes and these multi-million dollar contracts. And I wonder, what is God doing? And, and that's when we plugged into Community Bible Church and I started raising my children at CBC. And uh, we started teaching Sunday school classes and having Bible studies in our home while along doing this executive position. And then we phased out of the market. They began to do call centers around the world and they offered me a package and I got out and then I started a landscape company. I went from wearing a suit and a Mont Blanc pen one day to passing out on people's front lawns out in the sun. It was the funniest <laughs> thing. I remember one lady coming out on her driveway and I, I literally had uh, thrown up on her driveway and she's like, sir, are you okay? I said, yeah, you know, I just left a, a, a nice cush office position and I'm, I'm out here trying to push a lot more and I, again, my wife and I were kind of thinking, you know, what is God doing with us? And and then we 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 became quite successful with our landscape company. During that time, I called Tony to come from the Marshall Islands and join me in that endeavor. And then I started our private investigation company, and that was crazy. And then uh, and then this this Kenya thing came, and uh, so as we started to phase into ministry in Kenya, and we started to put together what it is we wanted to do in Kenya. My ministry package deal didn't look anything like my father's. My father was a pastor, preacher, church planter, and that's all he wanted to do. He wanted to preach twice a day, every day of the week. That's what brought him joy. And I, I didn't want, I didn't want anything to do with that. And I, and I didn't at age 40 after, after living life and, and raising a family and raising two children. But I knew that God wanted to use us in Kenya in a different way. And so we we started Real for Christ and with the concept that we were going to go into places that had no electricity, no water, no um, medical source or education source. And we would identify these places and then we would go in and work with the Kenyan government to help them get all those necessary things just to sustain life. And then over a period of time, 
hire Kenyan people, build buildings, buy land, get things established, and then allow them and teach them how to be self-sustainable. And so when we created this model of Real for Christ, God was using pieces of both of our lives to allow us to do what we do today. Today, we have about 800 children. We have over 100 Kenyan staff that manage our facilities, our schools, and our clinics on the coast of East Africa. We could not have done it had I taken the preaching track that my dad had taken because God would not have used me in that. But understanding God's purpose of our life and then fulfilling that has a lot to do with the different pieces, the doors that he opens in your life and the doors that he closes. A lot of times we don't understand why why we get terminated from a job or why... We go through this horrible relationship or why we're, we're having to move and uproot our family and go to different things. I've been through all those. I've been to all those situations. And I realized today at age 53 that it was those moments. It was those hardships, those valleys that God said, I'm going to take this moment of your life and I'm going to use it sometime later in your life to show you great things. And my wife and I are able to do things with the Kenyan people that we would have never thought possible. And it was because of our life experiences. Exactly. How many schools do you have open now? Four. Four schools? Mm-hmm. And how many people are attend the schools? Yeah, we have uh, over 700 children are going to our schools. Our schools are, um, <clears throat> we call it pre-primary, mm-hmm. age four years old, all the way up to eighth grade. In Kenya, after the eighth grade, you take a national exam and then you go off to a, a secondary school. And um, we decided we weren't going to go into the secondary school uh, environment because of some of the regulations with the Kenyan government. Yeah. So uh, if I understand right, I think I heard you once say that you're also started churches or building churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times people go to realforchrist.com uh, on our website and they see all these children's pictures because they are beautiful. And yeah. we take a lot of pictures of our kids. And some people will say, is that all you do is, is play around with the kids? And we're like, no, there's so much more to what we do. Uh, it takes a lot of our time and energy because schools are a big investment on the buildings, a big investment on the children because we feed them breakfast, we feed them lunch, we clothe them. But then we have the medical aspect. My wife, that's a piece I didn't remind you, that didn't tell you in our story, for 25 years my <clears throat> wife was in finance. And then when she felt like God was calling her to Kenya, because of those few days of experience in Kenya doing that medical outreach, she said, I'm going to go back to college. She was 40 years old. She goes back to college, gets a second degree in nursing, of all things, mm-hmm. from fi- from using a calculator and a sharp pencil to now injecting people and doing sutures. <laughs> it, it was nuts because she'd come home on the weekends and she wanted to practice on me and the kids doing suturing, <laughs> uh, doing uh, the injections. I'm like, you find yourself an orange or something because you're not you're not giving me injections. <laughs> so here's my wife, this banking finance person, who now changes her life because she feels that God's calling her to do that. Because she said, here was a statement she made to me that that morning when I found her crying in the bathroom. She said, Chris, I'm not just going to go to Kenya and sit at home and be a good missionary wife. She said, I want to do something. I want to invest in people. I want to make a difference in those Kenyans' lives. And she said, I feel like God used that moment in Kenya doing medicine to show me what my next calling in life is. And so as we're talking about God's plan and purpose for our life, and and I know you have different age listeners, probably a lot of them are our age, Mm -hmm. 40 and above. And a lot of people feel like when they reach 40, 45, they're looking at their retirement plan. They're looking at their 20 years of career in the military or in business. And they're like, well, you know, God's already set my path. And I, I, I would say 
be careful saying that and and uh, be open to where God might be leading you as a 40-year-old because he turned our world upside down at age 40. It was good upside down, but it was upside down. It was a totally different path because he was like, okay, I've had enough of you doing the career you thought you were called to do. You've made good money. You've lived in a nice home in Stone Oak. You drive nice cars. I had executive suite uh, tickets to the Spurs. I had it, man. I was living the dream. And then God said, okay, now it's time to go and sweat in the middle of nowhere and uh, dig fence posts and help build churches and schools and medical facilities in, the, in, in Kenya. You, you know, what's amazing is God, I truly believe that God prepares us for what he wants us to really excel at because of the things we do that lead up to it. Just mm-hmm. like what you're saying in your life, mm-hmm. you know, whether you've learned things in the military where you learned things right. uh, in any other of the jobs you had, mm-hmm. raising kids, obviously, to be able to manage an extremely large ministry that you have, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't be able to do it if you didn't have the tools already set for you mm-hmm. by managing and running the businesses and things you did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I was, what I was saying earlier is that we have right at 100 staff and my wife's calling because of medicine she now we now started medical clinics when we got to kenya we just started back we call it backpack medicine we just loaded up the back of our pickup truck and drew, drew drove out where the roads end where people had never seen a doctor had never some of them had never seen white people and these folks were desperate and they uh we would just back into a place and just and we would start handing out aspirin and then people would come in and we'd see all kinds of sores and diseases. And God took that and allowed us to actually build medical facilities. Then people in America uh, made uh, donations of equipment, medical equipment. Uh, and now today we have beautiful clinics where we have labs, we have pharmacies, we have uh, labor and delivery nurses, we have clinical officers running large facilities. We're resetting bones. We're delivering babies. We're doing suturing. We're doing stuff in the middle of nowhere where people have no hope unless we take it out there to them. So we have people managing that. And then and then the most important thing that we do, I believe, is uh, church plants. Uh, in, the, in the midst of all this, at the middle, at the center, at the nucleus of everything we do in Kenya is a church. And a, a church can start with a building. It can start with a tarp under a mango tree. But we believe that the ecclesia, the called out ones, they are the, they are the church. And mm-hmm. uh, today I'm happy to announce that we have 14 churches along the coast of Kenya. We have a 2020 goal of having 20 churches by the end of 2020. That's enough 20s in that sense. But uh, So our, our prayer is that in the next eight months, we'll raise the funds to actually build uh, six um, six more facilities and have those 20 wow. churches. We already we have young men who are coming uh, every three months to our Bible college that we just started last year on our main campus. And um, in fact, in April next month, we will have, uh, I think I just got a report that 24, 25 young men uh, who've never, m- many of them didn't even finish school, but have a desire to lead people to Christ. They're coming to our Bible college we're going to have people sitting beside with them, helping translate, helping them read, helping them write so that they can take simple Bible courses so that they can uh, take the gospel to their people. 
So we're doing churches, we're doing schools, we're doing clinics, we're taking care of children, we're seeing thousands of people come to Christ through Jesus Film Ministries at night, through our church services on Sunday morning, through our evangelistic outreaches on the weekends. And 70 to 80% of the children who come to our school, they're Muslim. These are Muslim children. Their parents will never allow me to go into their home with a Bible, but uh, they'll let their children go home and say a prayer over their meal. They'll let their children come home and recite John 3.16. They'll let their children come into their home and sing Christian songs. And we're able to sprinkle Jesus all over these unreached people group. They're called the Digo and the Daruma people along the coast of Kenya. They're listed on most sites around the world as an unreached people group. We don't consider them unreached. We consider the fact that we're reaching them. They believe they're born Muslim, and so they won't let us take God or Christianity to them like the average person in America would. But through their children and through medicine, we're able to uh, reach them for Christ. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, This was just a couple years ago. Uh, I was in my office, and I heard a man who was— being loud and I could I could hear his Swahili. He was speaking. He, he was talking about being upset uh, with our school. And so I went out. I said, sir, did some something happen? Did one of our teachers say something to you? Or He said, no, I'm just withdrawing my three children from your school today. And I said, what? Because I knew his three children. And I said, surely there's something that we've done. He said, here's the problem. He said, I, I cannot handle this any longer. And he was like really furious and frustrated. And I, and I was thinking it was, there were, he was going to come out with this powerful something that we had done. And he said, I cannot stop my children wanting to pray in Jesus name over the evening meal. And he said, my wife and I are sick of it. And he said, we're done. And so as the three children left our campus and walked down the hill, I watched them go and there were tears in my eyes because I didn't want to see these three kids go. But I can. I got to tell you, down in my heart, I was like, okay, you know, if there's a reason to go, that's the reason to go because that's exactly what we're, we're able to reach these homes through these children. And uh, uh, another story, I, I got a lot of stories. Um, <laughs> Most about, missionaries about reaching, do. <laughs> about reaching Muslim people. Um, my wife in the medical clinic uh, deals with Muslim women and men all day long. And uh she had gotten a report of a of a boy who had had an infection in his back, and it and uh, it could have been cancer, or it could have been something we don't know exactly. But by the time he reached one of our clinics, um, it was quite serious. And and a Muslim father was carrying this little boy in 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 his arms into the clinic, and he asked if Lisa could help him, and uh, they tried. Uh, he had a hole in his back, and. Uh, A local witch doctor um, had tried to help the family, and he had put uh, different kind of animal fur and other leaves and bark and stuff in this wound. And by the time this child had come into my wife's clinic, there was already infection that had set in. In fact, they could see the bones in the child's uh, body. It had gone that deep. So they tried to treat the child. Uh, unfortunately, it's a sad story that the child ended up dying. It was a little boy. And we had found out that it was the firstborn of this Muslim family. He had two wives, but this was the first boy. And a first boy is very important in uh, in, a, in an African culture, but mostly also in a Muslim culture. And uh, the family was distraught. Uh, but we were invited to the funeral, which, again, is very unusual uh, for a Christian to be invited to the funeral. I wasn't allowed to speak. Um, I wasn't um, asked to say a word. 
we were, in fact, we were asked to be in the background and my wife wasn't even allowed to stand with me. The men were in a separate area. The women were across the field in another area. They're, the women aren't even allowed to bury their children. It's the man's job. So we went through this whole funeral experience and uh, uh, it was just, it was impacting on our life. Well, the next week, this man, this Muslim man came in and he then told us that he was actually an imam, a leader in, in the mosque down the road. And he said that his, you know, his, it was his son that had passed. And he said, and he said to my wife, he said, I want to thank you for um, trying to save my son's life. He said, uh, I don't blame you that my son died. He said, but I, I do thank you. And I, and he, and he said, he said, could you pray? Would you mind praying for me and, and uh, pray to your Jesus? And uh, they uh, believe that Jesus is Isa, the uh, a prophet. Mm -hmm. um, they don't believe he's the son of God because Allah never had a son and they won't. That's the biggest hurdle for Muslim Muslims to come to, to, to recognize Jesus as the son of God. But uh, anyway, at that moment, my wife said, you know, this thing, this medicine thing that I'm doing, sometimes it has these very impactful moments where we lose someone. Um, but then along comes a sparkle of hope that there are these people who need Christ desperately that recognize the fact that we're there for much more than medicine. We're, we're there for much more than education. We're there for much more than all of these things. And again, the life experiences that, that we had brought us to that moment. Well, you know, it's interesting because in Christianity, one thing that we have that all these other religions and followings and belief systems don't have is hope. Mm-hmm. We have that hope, and it's very, very different. Mm -hmm. I um, <clears throat> I do believe. Well, let me let me say this: if you uh, go to my website on uh, thebelieversjourney.net and you go to where it says guests, you can click on there and you can read uh, not only about Chris what I've put on his website, he and his wife, but you can also there's a link there that goes directly to their website. It'll say um, Christ, um, sorry, uh, Real for Real Christ. For Christ you can click on the link and it'll go to their website. And there is an abundant uh, amount of information and more pictures than Carter has pills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's, but it, it's a pretty cool website. And um, so if you get a chance, I really recommend you go to its website because it's a really neat website. And the work that they're doing in Kenya is, is just really amazing. Um, speaking about churches, um, a month and a half ago, I had two uh, missionaries here from Moldova. Okay. And they were talking about one of the things they're doing is trying to develop and start home churches. Hmm. They have a different situation in Moldova where they have a harder time because of the uh, Orthodox Church. But <clears throat> they're really in, in pursuing the the idea of growing and building churches. And a lot of our, um, you're right, a lot of our um, people who are listeners are probably 40 or more. However, in Moldova, you probably have a lot of 20s and 30-year-olds. And okay. a lot of them are missionaries. Okay. So I, I don't even know how many people listen to or watch our program from Moldova, but it's quite significant. Oh, wow. That's so, awesome. Um, you know, I, got, I went to Moldova. <clears throat> yes, I know. And did I go with you? No. No? That was but in you 2007, I think. 2007, 2008. Because you asked me if I knew Eugene. I went. Yeah, I met so. Eugene. I went with Sharon, jo Sharon Johnson. 
Yes, yeah. the, the, the uh, blind. Yes, no, yes, I mean, the, the deaf. The deaf. Like yeah. The sign ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon, Sharon Johnson's another amazing person. Yeah, she, she is. She's incredible. She's so funny. She used to go to Moldova all the time uh-huh. to the deaf camp. And now she knows that we go every year. So half the time she'll see us and she'll give us money to give to the deaf camp when we get there. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of ministry going on. Um, one of the things I was going to say about uh, what we talked about with the Moldovans is that the church is – Alive and church, like you said, ecclesia. It's the people mm-hmm. who are the church, mm-hmm. and I and I fear sometimes a lot of times the people here in the United States don't get that. I think they see the people in the United States as their church or their denomination as the church, and they may give money to uh, their church for missions or may may send missionaries money. Right. But there's there's a disconnect that I have seen, and I know there's a disconnect with the people of these countries, with the people of the United States, because it's almost like, yeah, we know you're there. We, we'll give send you money. We might pray for you, but it's the the heartfelt idea that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you see that or feel that or or think that, but I know that that's true in the Eastern Europe uh, communities of Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think we are working, the the Christians that I'm working with are new. They're brand new. Uh, a lot of our churches, I would consider them to be baby churches. They, uh, they're still just learning how to pray. They're learning how to read the Bible. They're, um, they're trying to be faithful to what God has called them to be. They're, just, they're figuring out who God is these we're, we're dealing with a lot of really young uh, believers. And so we don't see um, a lot of missionaries going out of our churches. Um, we, we encourage it and we encourage missions because missions is just telling people your story and uh, the good news about in Jema and Swahili uh, is, is what people need to hear and they need to hear it through, through our story. Um, and so in Kenya, we're, we're on phase one of, of 20 phases, but I, I'm excited to see where our ministry is going to go over the next few years and in, in developing and uh, developing Christian uh, leaders and developing disciples in Kenya to then take their story, not just to their region, but beyond and in places I can't I can't go. We we desire to have a, a ministry in northern Kenya and along the Somali border, even into Somalia. Uh, we're not allowed to go there. It's not safe for us right now. But I feel like that God might open that border one day where we can go through. And it'll be by using and working with uh, my my brothers there in Kenya. Yeah. Um, coming up to our topic, uh, recognizing and following God's will, there's some steps I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And we can discuss this, but yep. I want to talk about it. Number one. I think the the first and foremost step to recognizing or following God's will mm-hmm. is that you need to walk with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not a believer, if you're not, you know, right. it's kind of hard. It to starts even, there. Exactly. That is the beginning. It, yeah. it is what you want to do to develop this relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. is the very foundation of recognizing or following God's will. Absolutely. And I think that it's important. There's a lot of scriptures 
that talk about God's desire that we do follow him, that we do honor him, that we do worship him and love him. Uh, all the way, there's in Exodus, even the first commandment. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and I, I don't take the first commandment as most of us have heard it. I start from the beginning when it says, God spoke these words saying, mm-hmm. I am the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, okay, out of the house of slavery. So he qualifies himself first. Right. And he shows how he's done the delivery. Mm-hmm. And then he says to us, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right. So he's actually bringing us to the idea that we need to have him in our lives. We need to focus on him. And actually, and I talk about um, things that are gods in our lives. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's money, it's this or that. And actually, to define that, and you could add on to this, but I define uh, idolatry or having gods before God Anything in your life that becomes or is more important to you than what who God is to you, right? And we deal with that too in America. <clears throat> in America, we can easily define. I think more easily define it because we're in a first world country where things become more important uh, than church, uh, even sporting events. And and I, I guilty as charged. Uh, my kids went to great high schools, and we were very involved parents. And the school systems make it a challenge to be a committed Christian because you've got your kids signed up for cheerleading and, and baseball and football, and uh, and you find yourself being a good parent, but you're chaperoning every weekend and you're gone and you find yourself forsaking the assembling. Uh, so, I, But then you go, then you shift gears and you go to a third world country where we're at, and I speak the, I preach the same Bible that we preach here, and I talk about having no other gods than before that that come more important than the God, the Yahweh. And and uh, in Kenya we talk about how farming, because we have farming seasons, and uh, they, they all, there's always the excuse, well, uh, I got to get my crops planted, I got to get my crops harvested, I got to, and then there's monkey season. I know this sounds really funny, but when uh, all the crops come up, when the corn comes. Uh, at the top uh, and it gets close to harvesting, these hundreds of monkeys come in and, and destroy the, the corn crop. They'll bite off one little piece of the corn and throw it down. And then a man's, a man's livelihood, which is that one acre of land that he might own and farm, uh, it's gone overnight because of these monkeys. So wow. they use the rainy season. They use the monkey season. They use the harvest season. They use the goat birthing season. They they use all these other reasons and excuses for not being able to come to church or not being able to uh, join with other believers. So we um, God created us uh, as a people of excuses, and we have a lot of them, and most of them are no 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 good. Uh, but I believe that we have to. Uh, make the main thing the main thing. I, I said this to a group of men a couple weeks ago, and I think you were at that meeting. Uh, and I said, until we as men or to, until we as people uh, make him our complete purpose of our life, he will not show us his plan for our life. Um, so the problem with so many Christians today, they're still babes in Christ. And they they want, like my son, who's 30 years old, he wants to be the boss. And he, he, said, he says that all, all to me all the time. He's like, Dad, 
I can't wait to be the boss like you were. And I said, your time will come. I said, good bosses have 20 years of being at the bottom, working their way up. That, that makes a really good boss because he understands uh, the needs of his people and the needs of his company. And it's the same thing with our Christian walk. So many times we want God to bless us. We want God to give us this and that and the other. However, we haven't put any of the time in. We haven't spent any time with him in prayer. We haven't spent any time with the word. And we haven't made him the main purpose in our life. And I believe that God's waiting for that. And he wants to know that we want that we will make him the main purpose. And I believe that when we do, that he's going to bring those moments back from our life. And then he's going to reveal a, a greater plan for us. And and then you'll you'll understand it when you are willing to put in the work to to uh, have a true relationship with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The second, the second item I have here is that we need to follow the biblical teachings of Jesus. Yeah. It's interesting. I know people who own their own businesses, people who are Christians, and they wonder why God doesn't bless their business more than he does, and they wonder why certain blessings aren't coming. And yet, then I'll say to them, well, first off, just because you claim to be a Christian, you go to church and you read your Bible, but if you're not really following his teachings, mm-hmm. what makes you think God wants is going to bless you as you're not even honoring him? Mm-hmm. I think that's really important we understand that. Um, following the teachings of Jesus or following the teachings of God biblically is not just a New Testament thing. It's, it's throughout the entire Bible. And I think that's so important to understand that. Um, I have written down here, something I wrote, many people seem to want to know what God's plan is for their lives, but they overlook the fact that most of his will is already described and revealed in Scripture. Mm -hmm. God is clearly uh, about many aspects of his will. If we don't obey the things of God, which he has shown us in his word, why do we think he would reveal anything further regarding his plan of our lives. Obedience is really an important first step. It's true. I agree. Good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm right with you. Let me say amen. (laughs) I'm going to go way even further back in my story to my father. He he came to Christ at a much later age. Uh, And you know my dad's story. Um, He he was born and raised in... Uh, a place, a part of, of Texas where there were no black people allowed to live. And so my father, uh, his, my father's father was a racist. His whole family were racist. He was, uh, he had uh, family members that were a part of the Klan. That's how deep South he was. And so all through high school, he went to a, a school where no blacks were allowed or no Hispanics were allowed. It was an all white school. And then he starts, uh, he gets out of high school and he gets in, in, in the wrong crowds. He's, he's, eight, he's 19 years old now and he's smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. He's, he's been drinking since he was nine years old because his, his dad was a, a drunk uh, truck driver. Uh, he meets a girl from Beaumont, Texas, a little Baptist girl, and she was cute. And he said, and he did like I did. He promised the world if, if she would date him. And one of the promises he made was to, to go to church with her and his second time in church. He uh, met Christ for the first time in his life, and he gave his life to Christ. And and immediately he threw down the cigarettes. He quit the running around. He quit the drinking, and he committed his life to Christ. And then he became very, uh, very real. And you talk about 
we we need to not only be saved, but then we need to follow his commandments, and then we need to uh, be 100% committed. He asked his his pastor at the time of this little Baptist church, now that I'm saved, now what do I do? And he said, well, you probably need to go to Bible college. So he went. He, he dropped everything he was doing, and he went off to Bible college. And then his second year in Bible college, he had a, a man come in and give a, a, a lecture about missions. And then he felt like God was calling him to be a missionary. And then he knew that God was calling him to be a missionary in Africa. Now, he called his mom and dad. Again, you remember where he's from. Mm -hmm. And his dad was a drunk truck driver. (laughs) And he calls his mom and dad. And I wish I had been a fly on the wall that day. And my dad announces to his Catholic mother uh, over the phone. And he said, hey, mom, uh, uh, I feel like God's called me to be a missionary. And he took a pause there. And she was very quick to say, well, that's, that's sweet, honey. And then he said, I, I believe God's calling me to be a missionary in Africa. And, and, and you, you, uh, I, I wish I'd been there your, again your, your because, <laughs> because uh, from that moment, and that was in 1972, roughly, uh, from that moment, um, his family said, they made this statement, if you take uh, religion, if you take the Bible, if you take love, if you move uh, over to those black people, we will never speak to you again. And they were true to their to their commitment. Uh, from that moment on, they kind of cut him off. They we, we didn't go and visit the family anymore. My dad said, you know, if that's the way they're going to be, then let them be that way. So when my, when my father got saved, he got really saved, and he got committed to doing what God called him to do. And here he is three years later, four years later, God does another about face in his life and sends him somewhere where there is no way, you, and I believe one day my dad and I are going to co-author a book uh, about his life and my life, how you can go from your families in the Klan and you hate anyone who's not white to spending your whole life and then your son spending his life in, in Africa to, uh, uh, to 99% black people. And uh, we believe that God can do amazing things when you commit your life, fully commit your life to him. Yeah. Yeah, and from did he go to Hawaii? From yeah, Mexico? left Kenya, went to Hawaii for fourteen years. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> it is. It's wild. Well, let me go on to my next point. Okay. This is where I think a lot of people have probably one of the hardest times, and I have down here. We need to surrender our lives completely to God, mm. and I think that many of us human type people. You know, we we think we're committed when we go to church for an hour, or we might be committed because we say grace at night, mm-hmm. or we're committed because we open the scripture a couple times a week, or yeah. and and this is not what God asks. You know, he he wants us, you know, to be fully committed within our lives, um, totally to Him, surrendering our will, yielding ourselves to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, like most of us husbands do, yielding our lives to our wives because we know they're the bosses. Mm-hmm. Now, I, my wife is sitting right over here. I haven't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're now treading very cautiously. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and all joking aside, you know, I really believe, though, that uh, if we really want to seek God's will, we really need to be surrendered to Him. I agree. We really, I mean, it's just bottom line. Uh, there's a comment here. I said, if Jesus is willing to die for us, shouldn't we be willing to live for him? Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, gives us the bottom line. 
You know, um, I, I like the fact that knowing that Jesus gave his life for mm-hmm. me and it ended up the way it did tells me I need to give up, give of my life for him. Mm-hmm. And however, whatever direction he sends me, you know, at 40, 45, 50, 65, yeah. you know, when I was 40, early 40s, <clears throat> you know, I, I thought I was done. Yeah. You know, I had, I had just left the church. I was associate pastor, and I had called my pastor, Lon, and I had, I mentioned to him, I just, it's just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm getting too old. You know, you think about people giving ages of times when, well, like youth pastors, their age is over at 28 or whatever it might be. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, no, you've got a lot of life ahead of you, and God can still use you. Well, yeah. next thing you know, a couple of years later, I was hired at a university to be a Bible teacher at a university. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I kind of started off another. And it, I went to Community Bible, and I started a um, – actually, I didn't start this group. I was um, invited to attend a singles Bible study. It must have been about 30 people or so there. And, and I – I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden I took over, and that started the class that I still teach today, okay. which has been 20 years now. There must have been – and, you know, I only have about 10 or 15 or 25 people in the class at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's been 30 or 35 or more. There must have been about 1,000 people have gone through this class at one point or another. Hmm. And – I get frustrated sometimes because there's 10 people here, but then I have to think about the long-term range here. Actually, it's been a lot more than 10 people for the entire 20 years. There's been a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. So God is using me in a different way, but God still uses me. I believe that as people who are called to ministry, it never ends. I agree. It, It never ends. I like what Billy Graham said, you know, I will preach until the very day I have no more breath left. Hmm. And uh, I was taught this by my pastor, Lon, who said, you know, if God called to the ministry, he's called to the ministry for all of your life. And I, and I like that. I believe that. It's just sometimes you get, I don't know if it's frustrated or you get like, you know, lost in this world and maybe we lose focus. I think I lost focus at the point where I'm thinking I'm too old. Hmm. And I just had to have my pastor slap me around and say, Psh, nope, <laughs> get focused. Right. Of course, he was in Oregon. I was here. It didn't really slap me. Right. <laughs> next, I, the next topic here I have, or, or line item, is to seek godly instruction. Hmm. One of the things that we don't do, a lot of people don't do, is they don't have mentors. They don't right. have the pers- people to help and guide them. I, I'm a firm believer that churches need to have people who are discipling people. Yep. I knew that when I was a teenager and I lived with a pastor, that my pastor had friends who were pastors who were his uh, mentors. Mm-hmm. And I knew when I went into the ministry, pastors I worked for had other pastors from other denominations who were their mentors. And I learned that young to where that I know that I have people who I look up to who are spiritually more mature than I am that I go to, that I talk to, hey, I need help, I need. I have questions, uh, I feel tempted, or whatever it might be that we have this. I believe the church lacks this. Hmm. Um, I think everybody in the church needs to have somebody uh, in their life that they go to so they can mature. 
Mm-hmm. What's your thought? <clears throat> well, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I am going to disagree with you a little bit. I want to say that I'm not so sure that the church is lacking. I think that we as a people are unwilling to be vulnerable enough to share or to ask. Um, and I and I think that's part of Satan's plan is to have us all feel like we're on an island where we don't feel safe or don't feel secure enough or don't are not bold enough to perhaps share. And it, um, if you'll remember back in, I guess it was 2002, 2003, we started Quest for Men at CBC. And we, after just a few years, we had over 200 men coming on Monday nights and um, we'd have, you know, some time of worship and then we'd give a 10 to 15 minute um message, if you were. And then for the next hour and a half, we'd sit around the table of eight or 10 guys talking stuff. And then the table leader was required that week to call everybody and see how they're doing. Uh, But that started a movement, uh, not just at CBC, but across San Antonio, I believe, of men just kind of dropping, you know, down the walls and being real to each other. So it wasn't necessary that Community Bible or or all these other churches around San, San Antonio and around the world don't have the tools or the people standing by, I believe we we as Christians uh, ha- aren't, aren't vulnerable enough to sometimes um, to share that, to be willing to share. I think I think also it's it may or may not be the matter of vulnerability as much. Sometimes I think we we clog our mind full of busy work that mm-hmm. we don't stop and take the time. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of missionaries and a lot of pastors who are busy with ministry. And they let their families go. Or sure. They're busy with ministry and they're not out. I think with a, I think most everybody would be guilty of that at some point in their life. Yeah. I, I know when I was chasing my career in the States, I drug my family with me and uh, I sacrificed my family on the altar of my career. I think uh, at times I've done that even in ministry, full-time ministry. I believe we're all in ministry. I wanted to go back to that point you were making. Mm-hmm. You said we're called to ministry. A lot of people hear that word and they're afraid. They're like, well, that's for pastors and people who go to Bible college or people who I think we're all – one. if if you're saved, uh, then I believe you are in ministry. And uh, ministry looks different on everybody, mm-hmm. uh, but we're, we're all in ministry. And I think we're all guilty of sometimes sacrificing those closest to us to fulfill what we feel is our calling in life. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I, I when you're when you're a believer, you're you're in ministry. Yeah. You're you're to be you're called to um proclaim the word, proclaim the gospel, teach mm-hmm. the word. I think that's all part of, you know, who we are as yeah. a people. Yeah. But I also believe that there are so others that are called to lead mm-hmm. and so forth. Um Anyway, so I, I believe that I'm, I'm a strong believer that we all should have a mentor, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life. I agree. Okay. My next one is, um, is this is a good one. Listen to the Holy Spirit. That um, Too often, I think we tend to, depending on the church or denomination, I guess, that you're brought up in or you live in, we tend to negate the teaching about the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, we tend not to have it ready at hand in our in our mind what the Holy Spirit can do and does do for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I, I, I teach is that uh, Jesus said that uh, he sends the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and to guide us into all truth. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is true and we're looking for the truth of God and, and his will and plan for our lives, it's almost like the first place you would look is where Jesus said, 
the Holy Spirit, which mm -hmm. will teach us all things and guide us into all truth. Mm -hmm. um, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And a lot of times I think that many of us people are too busy talking. We don't listen or hear them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's another f fact that the busy life that we have almost drowns it out. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> when I'm in Moldova, um, I see some missionaries there that are so busy they don't take that time. And some others that purposely take the time. And I can see the discipline or the lack of discipline. I see it here, too, mm -hmm. in pastors who are too busy or they take the time purposely yeah. to do that. So, And finally, I want to I say we're getting closer to the end here. We need to listen to our own heart and we need to look at our surroundings and our circumstances. As we were talking about in the beginning, God has brought you mm -hmm. through an entire life of things that that formed and developed your ministry today. Yeah. And if it wasn't for what you did in the Navy or what you did in those jobs, mm -hmm. what you did marrying Lisa, mm -hmm. all those things was God's preparation for your life of what you're doing today. Yeah. We need to see that. We need to see we need to come to a point where we're saying, well, well, how could God do anything for me? I'm just uh, a salesman over here and there. But if we stop and listen to the Holy Spirit and look at our surroundings and see what we can, how we can take our life mm -hmm. that God has trained us in already right. and the gifts of, spirit, of the Spirit he has given us, mm -hmm. it's almost like a natural walk into the door that God opens for us. Right. And I, I believe that's truly, totally open with you. I mean, yeah. I think God absolutely opened and closed doors. And what's really cool is listening to your story, especially with Lisa. It probably never would have happened if it wasn't for her. Yeah. <laughs> the best things in my life have happened because of her. Yeah. I think we all yeah. need to attribute that to our wives. Yeah, almost. I've been married for 32 years. Best 32 years of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a joy having you. It's been a joy knowing you. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I've told you before, especially my wife, Susan, she follows you guys. Yeah. So. <laughs> she's, a, she's a Facebooker. <laughs> she is. <laughs> my kids give me a hard time because I'm on Facebook more than they are. <laughs> it's been a good ministry. So, but yeah. So God is blessing you. And, and I pray that God continues. And like I, I told you guys before, um, go to go to my website. Click on the link. Go to... Um, real for Christ and, and look at their ministry and support their ministry if you, if God leads you to do that. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a really a, a good ministry. I agree. So yeah. thanks for having me today. Oh, well, thank you for coming. Yeah. Anyway, that's our uh, program for today. I'm glad and that you've come and, uh, God bless you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week on our five minute video. Don't, don't forget I'm going to do five minute videos in between. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.